Hey, we're going to be in Matthew 9 today. We've been going through parables, and uh, if you've been with us the last four weeks, uh, the last three weeks, we've gone through parables that you may have heard before, parables that uh, you may have read before, heard maybe in a Sunday school class or whatever. Um, But today may be one of those parables that uh, you haven't studied a lot or or heard a lot about, the parable of the cloth and the parable of the wineskin, and uh, look forward to dive into into that in a minute in, in Matthew 9. Last week we were in Luke 10, if you remember Luke 10, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus was really uh, challenging them in the area of loving your neighbor. And he shared a truth that we want to embody as a church uh, at all times and in every, everywhere that we go. And uh, remember the Pharisee came to Jesus and asked, well then, who is my neighbor, right? You know, who is, it, who is the one that I need to love? Who's the one that I need to, to care about and to tend to? And Jesus, by sharing this parable, points to the fact that uh, you need to care for the one that's right in front of you that's hurting, that's in need. And that's who we're called to, to reach out to as well, that everybody, if we're called to love our neighbor, it's not the person to your left and right of your house, but everybody you come in contact with, Jesus made very clear, is your neighbor. And we're called to love, we're called to love everyone. And, and uh, he made it also very clear that, that love is is action. Love is putting our faith into action. And often when we love, it can be, it can be at cost. It's costly. Uh, we know the Samaritan, uh, he, he could have found himself in a tough spot as he reached out to the man along the side of the road, but he did it because he put himself in that guy's shoes and said, if that was me lying on the side of the road hurting and in need, what would I want someone to do for me or unto me? So today we're going to be in Matthew 9. If you like even shorter parables, this is going to be your favorite because it's really short. It's about a few verses long, uh, but there's a powerful truth in it that we need to to understand. As I mentioned, every week, each parable seems to start with a question. Uh, A couple weeks ago, it was by Peter, but it's usually by a religious leader. So we got a crowd of Pharisees that Jesus is going to speak unto, and they begin to pepper him uh, with a question about fasting And Jesus takes it way further than just fasting so that he can share some other issues that are going on with that group of people to help them understand, you're missing it. You're absolutely missing it. But the Pharisees would be those that would take God's law, and then they would add on to it more laws to God's law, and then they would be the spiritual police that would walk around and make sure everybody's abiding by that law and and doing the right thing, of which nobody would like to be around that. And some of you have been in that environment where... You know, you have people around you that think they're your spiritual police officer and they can remind you everything you did wrong. It's kind of what's going on uh, in this story. But what was going on is they were adding all these extra traditions, all these extra things that deal with legalism to Jesus. And he didn't like it. And they would do that because Jesus didn't fit the mold of who they wanted the Messiah to be. He didn't fit into their little spiritual box, if you will. Jesus was the kind of guy they despised eating with sinners and Jesus would sit down and have a meal with, with sinners. Uh, Jesus was the kind of guy we're going to see in a minute that they were saying, why, why are you feasting when the law says you're supposed, to be, you're supposed to be fasting? So they, at every corner, would find ways to try to pin Jesus, and then Jesus, he hands it to them in this, in this parable in Matthew 9 as he unveils his, his, the Father's heart and unveils the kingdom of God's heart. So if you want to turn to Matthew 9, uh, verse 14 through 17, that's what we're going to read, and, and then we'll try to make sense of it. Uh, then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it, John 
uh, John the Baptist, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? The law says fast, and your guys aren't doing it. And Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast, Jesus says. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into the new wineskins and both are preserved. So they come to Jesus. The story right before this, Jesus is eating with a tax collector, Matthew. And they're saying, hey, my guys are fasting. The Pharisees are all fasting. These disciples are fasting. Your guys are not fasting. What's the deal with that? Uh, Pause and ask a question. Is is fasting something that God uh, would cheer on as a spiritual discipline in our life? He sure does. Is fasting something that was not only for the Old Testament, but is something that's still practiced today, and it's a great spiritual discipline to draw closer to God? It, It most certainly is. But in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, it would say this. It said, set aside one day a year for required fasting for all the Jews. So the Pharisees thought, that's a good law. Let's add to that law and make everybody else abide by it. So they would say, not only once a year, but you need to fast every Monday and every Friday. So they come to Jesus because I'm guessing this dinner that is taking place at Matthew's, they're feasting on a day when they're supposed to be pushing away, and they're supposed to be fasting. And there was a sense of arrogance and a sense of pride uh, that welled up and lived inside of many of these Pharisees. Let me, let me give you just a sampling of, of their arrogance. Uh, Luke 18, another parable that we might not get to this, this summer, but the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, The Pharisee stood by and himself prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. If Anson would have finished that worship set, started praying and said, God, thank you that I'm not like any of these people out here. Bunch of sinners, bunch of hypocrites, adulterers, liars, evildoers, no good. And he said, but me, God, I've been fasting and I give a tenth of everything that I have. Amen. You guys would all got up, ran out the door and said, see you later. I'm not coming back to this church. But the arrogance of the Pharisees is, and the pride is lived out in Jesus. He despised it. He didn't like it. And he would call it out in a moment's notice. But listen how crazy it is for these, for these religious leaders, these, these Pharisees during this moment. Why were they fasting? Well, they were fasting in mourning of their sinful nature. That's a good thing, isn't it? I mean, that's a good thing to fast and, you know, get yourself cleared up with God. But they were also fasting in anticipation of the Messiah to come. That of which Jesus is saying, well, then why are you fasting? Because I'm standing right in front of you, right? The Messiah has come. The Messiah is here. And John the Baptist is in prison during this time. So the Pharisees, these religious, these disciples are beginning to side with the Pharisees. And they're saying, well, yeah, we need to, we should all be fasting. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're missing it. The Messiah is here. The Messiah has showed up. The Messiah is on the scene. It is a time for feasting. What is the point of fasting? Well, the point of fasting is to 
push away the things of the world, right? So that we can draw closer to God. So Jesus isn't ripping fasting in this point, but he's saying you're fasting at the wrong time, with the wrong motives, and at the wrong place. The Messiah has showed up. The Messiah, the Messiah is here. And the Pharisees, as so many today, Jesus is right in front of them trying to reveal who he is and what he's about. Completely missed it. And Jesus is saying the time is now. The, the Messiah is on the scene. And I'm inaugurating and coming to, the, to, to this world to bring something brand new. So he displays and shares this story through a wedding feast and through a wedding. That if you're to go to a wedding or a wedding reception, you don't go to either one of those in, with a sense of mourning or a sense of fasting, do you? Well, maybe some weddings you do if you're, like, you're not quite sure you like that bride or that groom. It could be mourning, right? But you don't go to a wedding in mourning or in, or in fasting, but a wedding is a time of celebration, isn't it? It's a time to party. And in a, the very same sense, Jesus is saying, the Messiah is here. I am here. I am amongst you. I am with you. It should be a time of joy. It should be a time of celebration. It should be a time of sheer partying. And Jesus is pointing back to some Old, Old Testament language in Isaiah and Hosea that where God is going to prepare a feast for his people. Because God is known as, the, as, the, as Jesus is the groom, right? And in the church that we all have heard, we are the, we're the bride, the bride of Christ, the local church, you and I. So Jesus is letting this group know, man, you're doing it wrong. You're fasting when you should be feasting. You're mourning when you should be celebrating. And you're completely missing it. The thing I love about Jesus is he, on, on all the parables, he never just leaves it with the original question. He has more to teach. He has more truth that he wants to reveal to this group. So he does that in this particular parable. And he says, you know what your real problem is? Is you're trying to add me in the mix with all of your legalism. You're trying to add me in the mix with all these rules that you're following. You're trying to add me into the mix of of your faithfulness unto God by just sprinkling me in. And he's sharing, I didn't come to, to cheer on or promote the old. I didn't come to cheer on or promote any one of you Pharisees' agenda. But I came to bring new life, to do something new. I came to, to usher in the new covenant between God and, and, the, and, and His people. And I've not come to do something old, I've come to do something new. So Jesus' arrival on earth was, was, the, was the beginning of that new covenant. And the Pharisees, every single one of them, are missing it. And Jesus made it as clear as day that you can't add the gospel with your legalism any more, he says, than, than putting a, a piece of unshrunk cloth as a patchwork on, a, on an old fabric or an old garment. And you know what this is like when you wash your clothes after you have the same shirt you've worn 200 times and you've washed it about that many times and you look at it and it's like, Either I got big or this thing's not as quite as big as it used to, right? When we wash it over and over, it begins to shrink. So what Jesus is saying, and the items they used back then were even worse, would have shrunk more. You cannot put this unshrunk, this brand new piece of, of cloth, and you can't sew it on a, a piece of, of used garment that, that's old. Otherwise, when you wash it all together, it's going to shrink, it's going to rip off, and it's going to cause a bigger hole in the garment 
than when you started this whole procedure. Now, how many of you have a, it's confession time, how many of you have, uh, didn't read the directions on a shirt or a pair of pants, and you fired it in the washer, you washed it on either hot or cold, it's supposed to be the opposite, and then you put it in the dryer, and you took it out, and you're like, I either gained like 10 or 15 pounds, or this thing is like my kids, I don't know. How many of you have shrunk some of your clothes, admit it for a moment? How many of you have shrunk your spouse's clothes, and you tried to act like you didn't do that? I've done that numerous times to Nat's clothes, and she gets it, and it's like, where did the clothes go, you know, because it's gone. And we know what this looks like. And Jesus is trying to get this group to know that, man, uh, it's not about putting on the old, something old on something new. But I've come to make all things new. You can't add my gospel to your traditions and your legalism and all your stuff. And out comes this great faithful follower of God. That's not, that's not how it works. And this parable had so much more to say than just, hey, why aren't you guys fasting, right? And my guys are not. He goes on, he shares a second part about, about the wineskins. And uh, this particular part is not something that's practiced a lot today, and thank goodness that, it, that it's not. Uh, but most people, if they want to get some wine today, uh, would probably be finding it in a glass bottle, um, or maybe like a box or some barrel or something else other than a, than a goat skin. Uh, but for Jesus to share this particular story to, his, to the crowd he's with, they would have all understood this. Because what they would do is the goat would be skinned, it's kind of gross, and then they would begin to sew up the legs and the feet and the belly and all that stuff so that it would be sealed the best that it could. They would leave one opening, they would fill it with as much wine as possible, sew up that last little part, and then they would have what you would call a a wineskin. And what would happen is that wine would begin to ferment. And when something ferments, especially in all the heat and the elements, it probably expanded a lot, and it would stretch the goat skin. Uh, which is why they used goat skin in the first place, and they would be able to have uh, wine, new wine, taken care of in that way. How many of you would like a sip of that, right? Pour it out of that thing. You're drinking out of, a, out of a goat skin. It's pretty sick. But this crowd would have understood it. And Jesus says you can't take new wine, and once a wine skin is already used, and it's had liquid in it, it's in the rain, it's in the heat, it's in the element, It begins to get brittle, right? It begins to get old. It's stretched. It's somewhat ruined. He says you can't take new wine and pour it into an old wineskin because when that new wine begins to ferment and begins to expand, it's going to blow up and wine is going to go everywhere. And Jesus is telling this group of people that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the new wine and you all are missing it. It's the new wine that God is ushering in. It's the new covenant that God is ushering in. And you guys are missing it. You're trying to put me with all of your old stuff, and you're absolutely missing what I'm trying to do. And God, Jesus is letting them know, hey, to see new, you need to be new. You need to be a new creation. You need to be changed and transformed from the inside out. That the new thing that God wants to do in and through your life starts with putting your trust in Christ starts with putting uh, your belief in Christ, starts with making Him number one. You can't grab the old, the new wine and pour it in the old wineskin as you Pharisees are doing so well. And like old wineskins, this group of religious people were so locked in to the, to, the, to the laws of the day that they completely missed Jesus. And I can't think of anything more sobering than 
people today going through the motions spiritually or thinking they have to have all these things to be right with God. And they're so faithful to all these things and yet miss the one that they ultimately should be faithful to alone. And this is what was going on with the Pharisees. They were self, self-appointed old wineskin guards, right? And they would just want to keep things the same. And here's my thing. This is still plaguing the church today. This isn't something from back then when Jesus was talking. It's something that's alive and well today. Church, we can get so caught up in the religious systems, religious preferences, religious styles, that we can miss the one that we ultimately came in to worship in the first place. Everything you see in this room, from the pew to the guitar to the drums to the organ to the piano, the first church had none of it. You know what they had? They had an excitement and a boldness because they saw a man die. They saw him be buried. And three days later, he rose again. And they wanted to tell anybody that was willing to listen that Jesus is alive and Jesus is the hope of the world. And you can see from that first church when we were given that great, that great commission, right? We're told to go into the world and make disciples of how many layers and layers and more red tape that the local church and Christ followers have added to this thing that was known as the way for that early first church. We've added so much. And it's scary to me because we can miss Jesus in the midst of all the things we've added to church. And my hope, my prayer, is all these religious systems and preferences and ways of doing church that come and go, that we get so tied to and love so much, that we could lay that aside. And maybe God would even heal our heart from that stuff. And we could keep our eyes fixed on the one that deserves to have our eyes fixed upon. And that's Jesus Christ alone. The disciples died a martyr's death. Not because of some religious system or some religious preference or some religious style. They died a martyr's death because they knew Jesus was who he said he was. And that's what we need to come back to today. I want to share something, a quote with you that I had shared with me this week, and it's so good. And it's honestly, it's convicting and challenging all at the same time. It says, if every one of our prayers was answered, and every one of your preferences was met, would the world change or just you? Let me say it again. If every one of your prayers was answered, all the prayers you fire up to God, and every one of your preferences was met, and we all have them, would the world change or just you? Let me ask some tough questions for a second. Do you really want to see life change? Do you want to see people come to Christ? People be baptized. People to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. All of us in here would say, yes, we want to see that happen. We want it to happen. Let me ask a tougher question. Are we willing, as the years go go by, to make the changes necessary to make that happen? That's a bigger question. Let me ask this question. Do you want to see this community reach for Jesus? All of us would say, well, yeah, I want to see this community reach for Jesus. Let me ask the tough question that backs that up. Are you willing to do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus? That's a tough question to think about. Are you willing to sacrifice and change so we can be relevant to those not yet here? Are we willing to sacrifice and change so we can be relevant to the next generation that is here and will continue to be here? Uh, Do you want to bear fruit as a church or do we just want to have it our way as a church? 
Are we willing to step back and hand it back to God and say, God, would you do your thing and do it your way? And I'm just thankful that we get to be a part of it. With that kind of a humble attitude before a holy God, let me remind you a God that has limitless potential, limits, limitless resources, and can do whatever he wants and change a life in a moment's, in a moment's notice. I believe a heart with the questions we just asked to say a big resounding yes to all of those, look out. Because God wants to move and work in a church with that kind of attitude. But I think anything short of that, we're going to miss the new, not only individually, but as a church that God wants to do in us and in this community. When we have an attitude of, I want it my way. And Jesus is talking to this group of people, this Pharisees that wanted it their way. And they were doing it anything they could possibly do to keep it their way. But Jesus is letting them know that if you want new, then you have to be new. And it starts by being a new creation. It starts by, by being changed by Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Jesus says if you want to be a new wineskin, it starts with renewing your mind. It starts with renewing your heart. It starts with being a new, a new creation. Jesus didn't come to, to, to walk on this earth, to die on the cross, to be buried three days later, rise again to do a patch job on our lives. He came to make us new. He came to change us. He came to make us more like himself. And, and putting on a new wineskin so that we can experience the new wine means, hey, we've got to put off the old self. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians. We've got to move forward to what God has for us. Let me, let me just ask you a few questions just to reflect and think about your life, about what God wants to do in and through you. Uh, but what new thing is God doing in you right now, spiritually? Is He doing something? Is He stirring you? Is something on the horizon? What new thing does God want to do in your life? What new thing does God want to do in your life? What new truth or understanding is He's trying to reveal to you. It's pretty obvious because he just keeps wrestling with you about the same old stuff. Because he wants to show you something. He wants you to step out and reveal something to you. What new disciplines is God moving you towards? Maybe adding them or just making them better. Maybe starting them. What new goals is God stirring in your heart? What, what new dreams is God birthing in you? I pray that we never become a church that stops dreaming about the crazy stuff that God wants to do in this community. What new dreams is God birthing in you? It's like, I can see it. I can see it, but I can't quite get there yet. God, what, how, how do we make this happen? What's God, what's God doing in you? What's God, what does God want to do through you? What's God, you, you sense that he's wanting to do through you? Does he, what new people does he want you to reach? I mentioned last service, and I mentioned again that there, you have a unique group of people that you can reach that almost everybody else in this room probably can't because they're around that group every day. I'm sure that's the group that God's calling you to reach. He's calling you to be Jesus to. What new ways does he want you to serve? Is he kind of nudging you out over, over the edge to, to jump into something and serve it? Maybe it'll be at cost or at a risk. What new sacrifices is he calling you to make? So what does God want to do in you? And what new thing does God want to do through you? Maybe another question we could ask is what new thing does God want to do through this church? When I look at God's heart, His heart is people. Loving people, caring for people, serving people, 
seeing life change in people. So the question we ask is, God, what new ministries are you about to birth in this church so those things can happen? And I would say most of them are going to be birthed through you, not through a group of staff sitting around a table saying, let's birth this. What's God stirring in you to start? Maybe another question that we could ask is, what new ministries does God want us to start to bring healing to this community? A week and a half ago, I met with a local pastor that they're just knocking it out of the park with care counseling. And he said, he said we're getting so many calls that we have to put people out weeks, weeks in advance or weeks behind because we just can't, we can't take them all. Because people are craving for somebody just to sit down and not be a professional counselor. There's a time for that. But to be a professional listener and to be a professional at loving them. And so over the next 12 or 18 months, it's a goal of mine to, to start some type of care counseling here at this church to where you're the counselor. We'll go through some training. We'll have that guy train us, teach us, coach us. It's not going to be professional counseling, but it'll be an opportunity for the church. I, I throw counseling out, out the window. It'll be an opportunity for us to be the church and listen to people in some really tough spots. Some of you have experienced some really tough spots. You've had victory over some crazy things in your life, and I can almost assure you I can assure you that God wants you to, to bring about healing in people's lives with the same stuff you found victory over. He just wants you to be real and love people. What's God stirring in us to bring healing to this community? What areas is God calling us to change in order to maximize our reach in this community? We can't do everything. So is He calling us to narrow our focus so we can make a bigger dent in this community? Here's the deal. I've watched the local church settle for good way too long. Everything in ministry is good, right? That's why we start it. We start the new thing because it's good. doesn't mean it's effective. I think the enemy is scared by an effective church, not a good church. And we don't want to be a busy church. I've shared this a lot. We don't want to have a smorgasbord of things where we're stretched thin everywhere, but we want to be effective in everything that we do. And let me, let me encourage you with this because I get a front row seat to this place for the last almost 24 months in August, that God is doing a new thing in this church. He's doing a new thing through the people. He's doing a new thing in people's lives spiritually. And it's just cool to see and hear the stories and see the emails and watch people's lives literally be changed. And it's exciting to see God do a new thing. But here's what I know. He wants to do more. We serve the God of more. And the question is, are you ready for that? I don't think we ever have a God in heaven. It's like, I need a month off. I'm not real big on let's change in some lives this next couple months, or I'm in a sabbatical for eight months, right? God sent his son Jesus into the world to die on the cross, to be buried, and three days later, to raise from the grave, because he wants to see more and more people come into relationship with him. So the question for us is, are you ready for more? Are you ready to experience more? Are you ready for what God wants to do in and through you? Or another question, you just content with how things are. Things aren't too bad. Things are good, right? Are you content with how things are? But then when I look to the cross and I see what Jesus did for me and to know that we have not the answer for the hurting world that we live in, I think there's more that he's calling us to do. I think he's calling us to take it to another level as we serve and love in this community. Are you ready to be stretched you know what a wineskin does when the wine ferments in it? It gets stretched. And if it was, it would it'd be painful, I'm sure, right? It gets expanded. It gets challenged. It, it goes to the limit for the glory of God, if you will. 
And the same thing will happen to us if we experience the new wine that he has for us. We're going to be stretched. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged to get out of the, the comfortable mode and to get into, like, I'm all in mode. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in the committed zone. I'm going to be in the whatever it takes zone. You know what my biggest fear for me and for this church and really all churches are? Uh, as we start together, it's exciting and we're so excited. But as years go by, churches just get comfortable. This is where I park. This is where I sit. There's my coffee out in the atrium. This is my group I'm in. This is my friends at church. This is where I exit and where I enter. And church just becomes this, I don't know, this habitual thing of being comfortable. And my prayer is that we would never be a comfortable church, but we'd be known as a committed church. That we'd be a church that's willing to, to, to pour the new wine into the new wineskin so that God can do, God can do a new thing. You'll never read through your Bible and find one area where Jesus says, hey, just, just get in and be comfortable. But you know what you do find? He calls you to be obedient when it's really hard. He calls you to trust Him when it's like, I can't trust you on that one. He calls us to follow Him when it's like, but I've got a better plan. I, I want to go this route. And He calls us ultimately to take up our cross and, and, and to follow Him. So with the time we have left, life's a mist, it's a vapor, it's here today and gone tomorrow. What new thing does God want to do in and through you with the time I have left and with the time that you have left? I want to share this with you in closing. I think it's so powerful for us to understand. A church that understands it's not about my preferences, but it's about God's purposes, is a church that's ready for God to do a new thing. Let me say it again. A church that understands it's not about my preferences, but it's all about God's purposes, is a church that's poised and ready for God to do a new thing. Jesus didn't walk on this earth, and I've shared many times in this message, go to the cross, and three days later, come up from the grave to do a patch job on anybody's life. But you know what we do all throughout our lives spiritually? We just try to do a patch job. And there could be one in here today that that's what you've done your whole life, is just tried to patch things up. And oh, there's another leak, and you patch it up. There's a hole, and you patch it up. And God's saying, you're just, you're running yourself tired. I want to do a new thing in you. I want you to be a new creation. And if you're in this room today, and God's tugging at your heart to step into that and be a new creation in Christ, let today be the day of salvation. Don't nudge it away. Don't shrug it off. Step into it. God wants to do a new thing in you. Some of you, God's calling you to do a new thing by taking that next step of baptism. Maybe you've been following Jesus for some time, and you've never stepped into the waters of baptism to identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and say, Jesus is Lord publicly. We'd love to do that. But God wants to do a new thing in us and through us. And every time you refer to Matthew 9 and look at the parable of the cloth and the parable of the wineskin, I hope you have a fresh reminder that God's not done with you yet and that he wants to do a new thing. He wants to do a new thing in you.